Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How is everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. Um, obviously, that's just a quick recap of some of the things that took place on Serve Day a couple Saturdays ago. It was great having our Orange Army out in service to the community and getting to do some of the things that they did there. It's the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and just spreading the, the love of Jesus to different places in our community. And I'm just so excited about all the things that the Lord is doing in and through this place. And today, I can, I can just feel like the, there's, there's a roar and a rumbling of momentum and, and just energy. It's Baptism Sunday, so at the close of this service, we're all going to head to Peter's Point, and we've got a number of people being baptized, and that number, just the, the longer I keep breathing, the bigger that number gets. Um, people, after the 9.15 this morning, stopped me and was like, hey, can we get baptized? Yes, you can. Um, that is the answer. So... If, if that's you and you're wondering, hey, can I get baptized? The answer is yes. Just come on out and meet us there. I will dunk all comers. Um, so bring it on. I'm, I'm ready. So get out there and meet us at Peter's Point. It's going to be a great, a great time, a great afternoon, um, fellowship in the Lord. And we're going to have some fun. There's going to be some food. And they're over the, um, the offices in behind here smell amazing right now. They're over there preparing some of the food and getting it ready to take out there. And um, we're going to be just hanging out as, a, as, as the family of God. It's going to be, it's going to be so cool. So I hope that, that you'll make plans to join us and, and head over to Peter's Point right after this service it's going to be super cool, and I am stoked um, to be getting to baptize people. And then um, we, uh, Miss Larie, she's right here. Um, this is her first time uh, doing the MC gig, and and it, it's hard to get up on this stage every week, um, you know, and get up in front of people and everything. That's that's not that's not an easy task. So props to her for for stepping out. And if if you're if you're not serving on one of our teams, you're not putting your skills and talents and abilities to use. What are you waiting on? I mean, get get involved. If you have any questions about how you can get involved, just stop by the Big Orange Tent on your way out today, and they can they can uh, get some information from you and help you find a place where you can serve and use your gifts and your talents and abilities to to move. The, the mission and vision of this house forward and to honor God with the things that he's placed inside of you. So uh, I, I'm just pumped to be the pastor of a church where so much great things are happening and where the Lord is moving in such a powerful way. And I'm super expectant about what he is going to do um, in the remainder of this service this morning. So if you've got your Bible, you've got a smart device, I wanna invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. Our Bibles are divided up in the event you didn't know. Our, the Bible's divided up into these two uh, big sections of scripture. You've got the first big chunk of, of scripture. That's, that's what we call the Old Testament. And then you've got the second big chunk of scripture. That's, that's what we call the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the gospels. And the reason we do that is because gospel means good news. 
And the reason it's good news is because those books tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we've been spending quite a bit of time over the past several weeks in the Gospels. And today we're going to be looking at a passage out of the fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John, um, chapter 11. So you can go ahead and turn or swipe with me there and we'll land there in just a moment. All right, so I got to know how many parents, I got any parents in the house Anybody? A few people are like kind of reluctant. They're like, do I really want to? Like, I guess my kids are okay. You know, I guess I'm a parent. Um, I, I just recently realized that I'm, I'm about to, uh, to be a parent for, the, for 14 years. That's like, uh, the, it's right here, you know, when I think about that. Um, and yeah, four, almost 14 years ago, Luke came into this world. And, and when that happened... I, I begin to realize, like I begin to catch myself like saying words and phrases that I'd never said before, you know, um, especially as, as Luke got a little bit older and, and he started crawling and, and walking and then, and then Avery came along. We just started saying these things like from day one because that girl's crazy. <laughs> and, but but I, I found myself starting to say things like, hey, stop doing that. Quit touching that. Don't play with that. Get off of that. Don't climb on that. Don't eat that. You know, like all of these things. And, and then as, as parents, like you can kind of tell like the, the seriousness of how it's going by like whether or not your name is included, you know, the child's name is included. Like if you just say their first name, like Luke, stop doing that, you know, like it's mildly serious, you know. But, but then if, if you say Luke, snap, stop doing that, then you know it's, it's starting to get real. And then you throw all three names, Jonathan, Luke, Snap. It's like, code red, code red, abort, abort, abort. You know, like it's getting crazy. And we do those things as parents because we love our kids and we want them to experience a full and a happy life. And at the end of the day, we are just trying to keep them alive right? Like when, when you have a child and you're able to lay down in bed at night and you just check off the box, did I keep the kids alive? If the answer is yes, it's been a good day. All right. That's what we're trying. That's what we're trying to do. Just keep them alive. Can we get them to 18 and then just push them out the door? You know, and the same thing is kind of true with us in our relationship with our heavenly father. Like he, he places these, these rules, these regulations, these guidelines around us because he wants us to be able to live a full and a happy life. And and he's just trying to keep us alive. He, he's trying to, to, to help us to experience the life that he has to offer. And, and, and in fact, in, in John's gospel, um, in, the, in the 20th chapter of John's gospel, uh, uh, John makes clear the reasons for the word of God, these, these set of guidelines that we've been given. And, and not just for, for the gospel of John itself, but for the scripture in its um, in its entirety, the reason that that was written. And, and John 20, uh, verse 31, it says this, it says, but these are written, talking about the scriptures and the guidelines therein, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, 
And then by believing, listen to what it says, then by believing you may have life through his name. That's what it's all about. That's what this book is all about. That is what, that's why we're gathered here this morning so that you may believe in Jesus Christ and and by believing that you would have life by and through his name, Amen? amen? Today we're in part six of this series that we've been in all summer. This has been a summer of miracles as we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus. And we're taking a look at at a handful of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels of the New Testament in the hopes of identifying some specific principles from those passages that we can begin to apply to our lives and, and position ourselves to be able to receive a miracle from God as well. And all the way back in part one, we took a look at Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And we learned that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. And then in week two, we took a look at a time when Jesus healed a man of a skin disease called leprosy. And we discovered that whatever will allow him to touch, Jesus will transform. In, in week three, we, uh, we looked at Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And, and we discovered that, that we, can, we can seek after Jesus for supper and be satisfied temporarily, but if we'll call on him as Savior, we'll be satisfied forever. Two weeks ago, we looked at the time that Jesus walked on the water while his disciples were in a boat and they were struggling against the winds and, and waves of a storm. And, and we discovered that wherever we're struggling, Jesus, he's simply strolling. And then last week, we took a look at a time when Jesus healed a crippled woman on the Sabbath day. And we learned that whether it's a crooked spine or a crooked soul, that Jesus came into this world to make all things straight. And this week, we're going to examine a passage of scripture when Jesus raises a man from the dead. So let's jump in together to the gospel of John chapter 11. Now, before we get into our specific passage for today, um, it's important for us to know that between John 10 and John 11, a transition takes place. Like not only does it transition between one chapter to the next, but there's a transition that takes place in Jesus' ministry as well. It's, it's here in between these two chapters as 10 rolls into 11 that Jesus' public ministry comes to a close and his private ministry ramps up as he begins to focus on um, hit, making preparations for him to go to the cross and to be crucified and buried and then to rise again on the third day. And it's over the course of his ministry up to this point that time and time again, he's presented himself himself publicly to the Jews and every single time he's been rejected. And most recently in John chapter 10, the the chapter just before what we're going to read today, the the Pharisees have just tried to stone him to death um, during uh, what we know now as Hanukkah, but what was referred to then as maybe your your Bible, your translation in John chapter 10 says the feast of dedication or something like that. And we now know it as Hanukkah. So that puts that happening in December. So then we roll over into chapter 11. And so the events of chapter 11, 
chapter 11 are happening somewhere between January and April during those last months of Jesus' life here on this earth as he makes his preparation to go to the cross of Cal- uh, Calvary. And so Jesus, um, at, at, the, at the tip of the tip off of chapter 11, Jesus is out and he's ministering with his disciples and he gets some pretty bad news. A friend of his named Lazarus, who was the brother to Mary and Martha, the three of them lived and they were from the town of Bethany and Jesus was very close friends with them and he had spent time with them. He'd even stayed in their home on a number of occasions He gets word that his friend Lazarus is very sick. And so Jesus, rather than than dropping whatever he's doing, um, he he decides to to just stay where he's at, continue his ministry, and that he'll get to Bethany and, and, and get to Lazarus and Mary and Martha at some point in the future. And so he continues this ministry and then word comes to him that, that things are even worse. And in fact, we find out that Lazarus has passed away. And we pick up in verse 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, we're going to go to Bethany and we're going to go see about Mary and Martha and this thing that's happened to Lazarus. The disciples think that that, that Lazarus has just fallen asleep and they're saying, no, he's going to be fine. He'll wake up again. And Jesus then tells them very plainly in verse 14, Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let's go to him now. Now, it's important for us to know, like right here at the beginning, that whenever something bad happens in our life, and in in this case, a man has died, someone that Jesus loved a great deal. The Bible tells us that he he loved this man, he loved this family, that, that that whenever something bad, whenever something negative, whenever pain or adversity comes up in our lives, that, that God is not the cause of that trouble. God is not the cause of that pain. He is not the cause of that struggle, that adversity. But sometimes he will allow things like that to happen to us. And when he does allow those things to happen to us, you and I, we need to know that it it does not mean that he does not love us. The Bible is clear. Even though this thing has happened to Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus has passed away, these are people that Jesus loves deeply. And so when you and I, when we face a struggle, when we face a hardship, it's not happening to us because God has somehow turned his back on us and is no longer showing us love. That's simply not the case. And when these things do happen, not only does God love us in the midst of them, but he is allowing them to happen so that his glory can be revealed in and through our lives. And oftentimes he will use situations like this to teach us to trust him more fully than we are at the present. He will allow us to experience some difficulties, some circumstances, some situations that we're incapable of handling on our own so that we are forced to do nothing else but to lean in to what he has for us and to learn to put our trust in him. And verse 17 tells us that when Jesus arrived to the town, he learned that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. 
Now, this was long before the time of funeral parlors and the embalming practices that we have. Lazarus would have died and they would have simply wrapped him in grave clothes and and, and laid him in the tomb and then that was it. And so there he's been in the elements for the past four days dead. And so his body has started to decompose. He he wasn't embalmed, so he wasn't preserved for for days on end to go through the 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 visitation and the funeral and the and, and the viewing and all of those things. Like he was dead. They they wrapped him in grave clothes, they put him in the tomb, and and he was starting to immediately decay. And it's at this point in the story when when we see Jesus approaching the town and he arrives on the scene and he discovers that Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb for four days, that the innocent bystander or someone maybe reading this story for the first time thinks Jesus is four days too late. But I came to tell somebody that it doesn't matter what your situation is, Jesus is always on time. It may look like he's four days too late. It may look like things have been dead for four days too long. It may look like, Jesus, I could have used you last week. I could have used you last month. I could have used you last year. Where are you, God, in the midst of all of this? And Jesus is saying, just calm down and hold on. I'm right on time. You just wait and see what I'm about to do. Verse 18 says, Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come there to comfort Martha and Mary about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you anything that you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise and live again. And Martha answered, I know. I know that he'll rise and live again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will have life even if they die. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? And Martha answered, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, the one coming to the world. See, Martha, she comes to Jesus and she's frantic and she's saying, Lord, if you had only been here, you could have kept this from happening. But it's in that statement that Martha, she had totally missed the point. Jesus even says, don't you know that your brother will rise again? And she says, yes, I know that he will rise again, the resurrection on the last day at the end time. See, she believed in Jesus enough to to believe that her brother would be resurrected on the last day, but, but she failed to believe that Jesus was enough to do anything about the situation at present. And I wonder how many of our how many of us here today we find ourselves in that same boat that we've put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus and we believe that, that, that when, when time comes to an end and, and he comes back, that he's gonna call us to be in glory with him forever, but yet we fail to fully trust in his ability to work on our behalf today. And see, Jesus responds, he says, he says, Martha, you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. See, not only is Jesus our future resurrection, but he is our life right now. 
And when we believe in him, when we place our faith in him, our, our hope, our trust, when, when we lean into him, when we surrender our lives to him and accept him as savior, then, then we immediately step from death into life. It's not something that we are waiting to happen. It's something that happens right then. That for those of us that have placed our trust in him as savior, that's when we started to fully and truly live. Verse 28, after Martha said this, she went back and talked to her sister Mary alone. And Martha said, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was still at a place where Martha met him. And the Jews were with Mary in the house, comforting her. And when they saw her stand and leave quickly, they followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb to cry there. But Mary went to the place where Jesus was. And when she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw Mary crying and the Jews who came with her also crying, he was upset and deeply troubled. And he asked, where did you bury him? Come and see, Lord, they said. In verse 35, the, the shortest verse in all of scripture my translation says Jesus cried. Maybe yours says Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, if Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man, why couldn't he keep Lazarus from dying? See, Mary and the, and the people that were gathered there that, that day, they, they, they had fallen into the same trap that Martha had fallen into. If he were only here, he could have made a difference. Yes, Jesus goes to the place where Lazarus lay and he wept. He was sad. He cried. No doubt he was sad that his friend had passed away. But that's not why Jesus was crying that day. Jesus' tears were not for the dead that day because Jesus knew what he was about to do for the dead. That day, Jesus cried on behalf of the living who had failed to see that the bread of life was standing in their midst. That he was right there looking at them face to face, eye to eye, close enough to reach out and touch. Jesus was grieved over the fact that he had been sent by God to his people, but yet his people had failed to recognize him for who he truly was. And in the process had ended up turning their back on him and rejecting him. Verse 38 says again, feeling very upset, Jesus came to the tomb. It was a cave with a large stone covering the entrance. And Jesus said, move the stone away. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said, but Lord, it has been four days since he died. There will be a bad smell. Then Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha still isn't getting it. She's still failing to grasp what is truly about to take place. Jesus is standing at the entrance of this tomb, getting ready to heal her brother and to call him out of death. And all she's worried about is what it's gonna smell like. She's standing there next to the bread of life, but she has accepted death as the outcome. In her mind, 
Lazarus and his decomposing body and the situation that he's laying in is too far gone. But with Jesus, our situation is never too far gone. There is no such thing as too much death for him to overcome. There is no such thing as too big of a marital issue for him to overcome. There is no such thing as too big of a financial lack for him to overcome. There is no such thing as as too much addiction or too much this or too much that or too much sin for him to overcome. Only if we would just believe then we would see the glory of God at work in our lives. But yet many of us look at our situation and we've accepted. It's death. That's what we've got. I love what happens next. This is the best part. Verse 41. So they moved the stone away from the entrance. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said these things because of the people here around me. I want them to believe that you sent me. Verse 43, here it comes. After Jesus said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with pieces of cloth and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the cloth off of him and let him go. See, Jesus didn't just call Lazarus out of death. He didn't just say, come forth, come out. But he also freed him from the bondage of it. He said, come out and then take those grave clothes off of him. And see, there's a reason that that happened. It's because, it's because that, that though Lazarus was laying in that tomb, though his body had been decomposing for the past four days, that, that when Jesus moved, it was, it was in a move of wholeness. See, Lazarus didn't have to walk around for the rest of his days with a partially decomposed body. He was made whole by the power of Jesus Christ, and he was set free from the grip of death that had laid claim once upon a time to his life. Jesus stood at the entrance to that tomb and he called Lazarus by name. And in essence, he said this, just these three words that I've had just rattling around and resonating in my spirit all week. This is the kind of the Blake Snap translation, I think. Jesus stood at the mouth of that tomb and in essence, he said, stop being dead. Stop being dead. And when you think about it, like, like this is a major, this is the major story arc of the entirety of scripture, cover to cover from the the table of contents all the way to the maps. Stop being dead. Dead, And not only did, did Jesus proclaim it over Lazarus' life that day, I believe that he's calling you and me by name. And that he's proclaiming that same thing over our life today. Stop being dead. 
And we see it countless time and time again all through the course of scripture that that this instance right here where where he's calling Lazarus out of that grave, it, it points back all the way, even back to Exodus. When the Lord sent Moses to proclaim the same thing over the children of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter three, it says, the Lord said, I have seen the troubles my people suffered in Egypt. And I've heard their cries when the Egyptian slave masters hurt them. I'm concerned about their pain and I have come down to save them from the Egyptians. And I will bring them out of that land and lead them to a good land with lots of room, a fertile land. It is the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. We call it the promised land. I've heard the cries of the people of Israel and I have seen the way the Egyptians have made life hard for them. So now I'm sending you to the king of Egypt. Go bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What the Lord has just told Moses is that go to Pharaoh and and go before the people of Israel and tell them, stop being dead. Because the nation of Egypt, what it represents with its false gods, it, it represents death. And the Lord finally got to the place where he said, 400 years has been long enough. It's time for you to get up and get out of here. And so the Passover happened and and through the sacrificial lamb that the the blood, the the lamb was slain and they took the blood and they they painted it on the doorpost so that that death would have to pass over and it could not touch them. That they They were called out of death. And then the Israelites, they got up and they they crossed over the Red Sea. And there's so much symbolism and imagery there that that I don't have time to get to today. So maybe I'll have the opportunity in the coming weeks to maybe circle back around and talk to you about it. But they crossed over the Red Sea and and the Egyptian army was swallowed up in the sea behind them and drowned. And and then the the Israelites, they made their escape and, and the Lord led them into the promised land. called them from death into life, called them from lack and oppression and slavery into the abundance of everything that he had in store for them, fulfilled the promise in and through their life. Not only does this passage though, this this calling of Lazarus out, not only does it point backward into scripture, it also points forward to things that have yet to happen, things that we have to look forward to. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says this, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And those who have died believing in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be gathered up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. See, the time is coming when those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus will be called away from this fallen world that is perishing and resulting in death to step into eternal life with our heavenly father. We will be set free from the corruptness of our flesh and we're gonna be given new bodies. And the grip of pain and sickness and fear and hatred and bitterness and on 
and on will no longer have a hold on us. The time is coming and I believe is already here where the voice of the Lord most high will call our name and proclaim to you and to me, stop being dead. Stop being dead. So the good news for us today is just like he said, Jesus is both the resurrection and the life. And those of us who believe in him will be brought forth from death on the last day, but, but we don't have to wait until then to step into life. By placing our trust, our hope, and Jesus is Lord and Savior today, you and I can begin to truly live. But we've got a choice. Lazarus had a choice. Jesus stood at the mouth of that tomb and he called to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus could have said, no thanks. And he could have remained there in his death. Lazarus could have simply chosen to accept the fact that he was dead and just continue to lay there in it. Grave clothes and all. You and I have that same choice today. I wonder today who might be hearing the voice of the Lord calling to their spirit, calling them by name. Maybe he's using all three names and it's serious. I wonder who the Lord might be speaking to today saying, stop being dead. Stop being dead in your marriage. Stop being dead in your finances. Stop being dead in your relationships. Stop being dead in your mindset. Stop being dead in your attitude. Stop being dead in your addictions. Stop being dead in your sin and surrender your Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.